Welcome to Ghost Stories with Franz and Pete. I'm your co-host, Franz. And I'm Pete. Let's talk about the internet. Welcome to episode three of Ghost Stories with Franz and Pete. I am your co-host, Pete. Franz, what is up? Ah, not too much. You know, just getting ready for the 4th of July weekend here. Uh, not any anything too exciting on the horizon other than a uh, Super Smash Brothers tournament with my family. Uh, how about yourself? There you go. Um, I am planning on sitting on my front porch watching th- uh, plants grow and... <laughs> the grass kind of sway back and forth. We have no plans. Uh, so we're, we're, we're holding tight. Um, I'm sure there'll be people lighting off fireworks all over the place. So we'll just, we'll do the, uh, the, um, firework display by, by accident scenario. We'll just kind of see what happens, but we're, we're sticking home. We're sticking home. Sometimes Um, those are the best though. Yep. 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 So we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We do have an inflatable pool that we will be uh, kind of just splashing around in. So that'll be fun in awesome. a, in a crazy mixed up way. But yeah. um, so episode three, we are just rolling through our catalog right now. Uh, she's a PhD student at Karlstad University in Sweden. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, to see how UI design really affects your privacy choices and just uh, how innate your decision making is just when you have certain choices laid out in front of you. So the research that she's actually doing right now is very important, uh, not only for the privacy landscape, but for apps as a whole um, and the Internet as a whole. So I think you'll find it very eye opening, um, as as I did when we had our discussion with her. uh, And I really uh, enjoyed our time speaking with Aga. Uh, I can't pronounce her name as eloquently as Pete, so I will just keep it at Aga. Check it out. We'll catch you on the other side of the interview. Enjoy. So we are here with our very, very first guest to the podcast. Um, she has a beautiful name and I will butcher it. So she has already said that it's fine that I say that I can say hello, Aga, and welcome to the Ghost Stories podcast. Um, we're super excited that you are here. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, just kind of, um, you know, who are you? Yeah, sure. Hi, Pete and uh, friends. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. And it's a pleasure to be actually the first guest of Ghost Street Podcast. Uh, very exciting. That's right. Very exciting. Get a medal, too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so uh, my name is Aga. Uh, Koska is the surname. Uh, I'm actually doing my PhD at Karstadt University in Sweden. Very small town, very remote. Nobody heard of it. But we have quite strong team working on privacy and security here. Uh, especially considering aspects of usability related to privacy and security. So I've joined this team four years ago uh, in a project uh, sponsored by European Union, actually, um, called Privacy and Usability, um, where I specifically investigated the measurement of people's attitudes and people's behaviors when they interact uh, with uh, privacy-related user interfaces and just when they decide upon their privacy, pretty much. Um, so this was something I've been doing over the last four years. And before that, I have 
very strange mixed background because I actually have a, a master of art in history of art and culture, and then I have master in computing. <laughs> and uh, that was specifically on uh, HCI, uh, human-centered design mostly, and some usability, etc. So, so yeah, I think that's um, that's pretty much short brief introduction of myself. That's a great intro. I'm the same. I was a music major in college, and so I'm I'm really using all all four years of my yeah. my education really well these days, but I'm not. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, there seems to be a lot of uh, an, an interesting mix between folks that have that have studied the arts and then study people that go into like computer and stuff like that. They they have like this interesting way of looking outside the box. And I've just I've just noticed a very consistent thing about people from the arts and kind of the tech industry. It's 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 an interesting it's an interesting mix. I think that is definitely also necessary mix, right? More, uh, yeah. more spread of the knowledge you have, uh, more probably you're gonna contribute to whatever you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah just be a, be a little bit. Don't be not being afraid of being creative. Yeah. Oh, we're praising yeah. ourselves here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, Franz, <clears throat> Franz, talk us off the ledge. Yeah, Franz, uh, unlike the two of you, I do not have a art background. I'm actually psychology and biology. <laughs> um, but it's very interesting that you've, you know, had a diverse past and, and kind of made that gap into the privacy space. What initially led you to uh, get interested in, in privacy and uh, UI, uh, especially coming from those backgrounds? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I guess the, uh, to UI, it was the interest for a long time because, you know, there is a very close um, uh, kind of uh, the two fields of art uh, and I was actually specializing in paintings and the user interfaces that's super close to each other I think um, but then uh, I got more and more interested in uh, web design and digital media um, I started uh, my second master degree in Edinburgh uh, Napier University uh, where I got driven kind of by my uh, my supervisors and uh, some professors there into the human-computer interaction more uh, and uh, usability. Um, and I was kind of stuck in that environment and I did not really look that much into the uh, aspects of privacy, uh, uh, at least during my... Uh, my second master. However, uh, uh, once I completed it, I had an opportunity to uh, do some collaboration with a company that was producing cybersecurity programs with a startup on cybersecurity, uh, where we were dealing again with uh, trying to design uh, user interfaces based on research uh, that would provide uh, people with some sort of uh, understandable quite complex security solutions. Mm. <laughs> so it was a very challenging thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is what's driven me towards, oh, well, that could be actually something uh, worth of uh, further investigation, I guess. So uh, I've seen like pure chance, I've seen this advert for PhD uh, from EU, and I was like, mm, no chance I'm gonna get it, but I will try, and there I am. I tried, and you know, it, it's been a super fascinating journey, actually. and. and uh, one of the uh, probably best experiences I had so far. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Um, you know, I did read your paper here, The Psychological Effects and Their Role in Online Privacy Interactions, a review. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to me, somebody who's a little bit nerdy, it's, uh, you know, it's very interesting. I like it. I think it's really mm. important work that you're doing. And I think it's, uh, you know, this is very eye-opening. Um, 
And that you mentioned a couple things uh, within the paper that we can dive into in a little bit, but I did notice that you had quite a diverse uh, international team working on the uh, paper with you. And I was just wondering like, uh, if you each had different kind of privacy concerns or um, UI related aspects that you wanted to investigate or were you, did you guys all kind of come together and uh, have an idea already of what you wanted to tackle uh, or was it the original um, collaboration for the paper a bit more interactive between everybody or did you already have a mindset going out into this? So actually with this particular paper, since it is a literature review, and uh, to be honest, the, the people who are involved in it and who were mainly involved in it was me and, and my colleague Ifim Schulman from Tel Aviv University. Um, the other two people are my constant uh, collaborators from Karstadt University, so-called supervisors of PhD. So, you know, <laughs> uh, of course they provide an input, but, uh, but they were maybe uh, lesser involved in the actual uh, um, um, research or reviewing the papers, etc. Um, in terms of uh, where the inspiration for that particular paper came from uh, and the research questions for that paper, uh, they mainly came from me. Um, it so happens that my colleague uh, from uh, EFM, he's actually doing uh, also research about decision making in privacy. He's also a PhD student and we, we met for our uh, joint the European Union program to privacy and, uh, and usability. Uh, and hence, I kind of wanted to involve him because, you know, make, to make a literature review on your own is very cumbersome and kind of weird because, you know, we, we are very, especially if it's qualitative work, as it was in our case, uh, we are so super subjective, so it's actually quite difficult to, uh, to identify, oh, did I actually did not miss something when I was reading uh, certain papers, you know, uh, whether all the uh, protocol that we used to do the review uh, was correctly designed, etc. Uh, sometimes you need that that input. But the the questions that that all came from me because I kind of needed it. I got interested in it. I felt like there is lack of one place where we would have uh, some sort of identification of the research that was mostly experimental research or field studies, not surveys, not you know self-reported studies um, that will be dedicated to user interfaces and the, uh, perhaps the system one or, or type one processing mm. and some psychological uh, um, effects, whether it is cognitive biases or some other effects. So I kind of wanted to, to do that for in some ways selfish reasons, because I needed it also for my work, mm -hmm. but also for, uh, for the fact that really there's no one place. And I feel like uh, such papers detailing and maybe uh, providing, you know, it's kind of a clear overview of what has been done and what impact certain visual cues, uh, um, certain ways of designing in different on different platforms for different contexts may actually have on people's decisions. And then, if if you have that one place, this one you know one stop shop, I could say, um, people who are actually practitioners maybe can have a look at it. Although it's as you can see, it's, we we ended up with very small amount of work that um, ended up also being very kind of scattered and unsystematic. And I feel like it is maybe the beginning stage for something bigger in the future. Mm -hmm. What we try to suggest here is that, uh, okay, we, we see that there are some gaps uh, in the current works that have been done around the uh, user interfaces and psychological effects. 
And, uh, you know, there are platforms that has not been considered when we look at specific, uh, I don't know, like status quo, let's say, or, or whichever psychological effect we're considering. So maybe in the future, researchers could look at it and say, okay, we're going to focus on this since there was nothing done about it. Uh, also, nothing done about it. You know, we, we did not consider every possible um, database with articles. We also did not consider not peer-reviewed works, uh, like working papers, technical reports that can be you know, done by companies. I mean, to do something like that, uh, I would probably need a four years PhD <laughs> and many people involved, not only two of us or, or even four. So it's, it's also, you know, you, you can only do uh, that much as you can. And, and some reviews around this area has been done before, which I also tried to uh, we, we try to uh, we try to elaborate on in, in the review, uh, but uh, they were not necessarily dedicated to privacy or security, uh, and that's also something we wanted to to push for. The folks that you were all working with, did did you already have? Were there any people that had um, differing differing opinions on on privacy online or or just any type of privacy in general? Or did you guys kind of all come from the same came same side of the street and be like? this is our stance or was there a differing of opinion between mm. team members up, up front? Within this particular collaboration, I think we all have a very similar uh, view over privacy since we are all actually researching privacy, including, you know, my supervisors. <laughs> so it's usually quite similar that we are uh, all quite concerned uh, about, you know, uh, how systems uh, are designed, how user interfaces are presenting information. With a slight difference, maybe, you know, some of us are more technically oriented, maybe some of us are that concerned to, to the stage that uh, they would recommend to even disconnect, like, you know, do not use social media. Do, uh, for me, that's usually what I argue uh, about with uh, some people <laughs> in my environment, especially, or my, some, some of my collaborators that, you know, this is not a solution. Uh, solution is not telling people stop using everything. Uh, why? Solution should be we have to fix problems. We have to ensure that we are protecting their privacy, that we are ensuring that uh, they have some sort of understanding, some sort of mental models of you know what actually is going to happen with their information if they're going to let's say sign up for a new application or you know uh, interact with any uh, any new uh, technology. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean. That's why this conversation is great. That's the same motto that we come from is that it's it's not that it's happening. It's that you should have the ability to understand where and when like we should have more of a choice of what we share and who we share it with. And um, exactly you said, you know, either you're going to put on that tinfoil hat and not use anything or you're going to embrace what's happening. But we need to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. and, but what is that right way? And that's where we're all at. And that's what you're researching. And 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 um we just got to find that happy medium somehow or figure yeah, it out. It's like the, yeah. the abstinence only approach to practicing safe sex. It's uh, we just <laughs> educate everybody else. Uh, so, you know, you can still use your social, just be very cognizant of what you're doing and how people can track you. Um, it's, you know, it, it's really interesting to see this approach on privacy too, because typically when you hear about privacy, right, people's first thoughts are like GDPR or Cambridge Analytica, you know, all the big schemes that kind of went down in the past couple of years. Um, so seeing this, you know, from a UI point of view, at least is really interesting to me because, you know, there's a lot of just cognitive bias that 
you know, you're not even aware of when you're interacting with an application or, or a website that does guide your, uh, you know, uh, your clicking and your behavior and what actions you're taking. Um, throughout the course of the uh, study, uh, did you find that, you know, there was a, maybe a more nefarious way that people were guided to select actions that they really, you know, uh, wanted to uh, take? So like, say if that was anything that might really be privacy adverse, but the UI, uh, you know, kind of guided them through to, you know, well, let's make sure you click this on. Like, you know, for me personally, I know for when I've been using apps, um, I always, I, I never, I share as little data and access as I can. Um, but, you know, when you are installing everything, the first thing that comes up is, you know, it's, it's, it's allow for every single setting. And, you know, after reading your paper, it kind of made me realize, I was like, you know, this can be done in a, in a different way. And it's really interesting to see that. I think you called them nudges in the paper, if I it's, nudges is, of course, not my term, and, and you call them, it, it depends, nudges, choice architecture, um, paternalistic or not, a huge debate about it. A lot of people in our field doesn't, doesn't even, don't even like them. the word nudges, uh, finding it, uh, you know, uh, in some ways limiting uh, the, um, um, maybe limiting people's possibilities and, you know, telling them what to do. But then again, I, I strongly believe that uh, everything that we are exposed to especially uh, when it comes to visual uh, exposure, will in somehow impact us. Uh, whether it will be impacting our feeling, whether it will be impacting what we're going to do next. Uh, you know, it's, you, know, you have a, a background in psychology, if I understand it correctly. So you know that it's not a simple process between A and B. There is CD and all the other factors that influence how we behave. Uh, but yes, nudges, uh, I, I, I try to actually use the term visual cues at some point too, to make it more generic, I guess. Um, going back to your question about whether I noticed some sort of pattern or, or I, I guess clearer signs that would tell us exactly how people will behave and they will follow, uh, they will ex express some sort of more uh, privacy protective behavior or even attitude. Um, there are some, uh, possible uh, effects that you can actually use in user interfaces. And I know from this study and also from studies that we are working on at the moment that I've done, uh, that uh, for instance, providing people with control is really changing a lot. And uh, actually uh, I've done uh, a lot of studies about the effect as a, a general term uh, on feelings. Uh, and its role when it comes to uh, privacy decisions, a lot of free studies, but it's still quite a lot as for a small PhD project. <laughs> so, um, and uh, what we noticed is that this, uh, the effect can moderate actually the relationships between, uh, for instance, trust and privacy concerns and information disclosure. Um, but to, to achieve this, uh, different levels uh, of, uh, of effect or, or emotional response. We can provide people with a presentation of, for instance, privacy policies um, that are giving them control. And this is something very close to what you said uh, about uh, the signing up for application or, you know, agreeing to the uh, terms and conditions or privacy policy hidden. Uh, I've run a couple of studies when, where we had that privacy policy displayed in a different way. Uh, and uh, we found that, yes, if, if, you, if you're giving them simple switches uh, about, you know, 
we're going to use this particular set of data to give you, a, I don't know, social features. And you are the person who doesn't use social features. They were actually changing it. And we're saying, no, we're not going to. We're not going to do it. So, so control is definitely something that may help to overcome this, uh, you know, this status quo mm -hmm. uh, um, that people are quite often confronted with. Um, but there are other uh, other um, elements that you can use. I think that the biggest challenge is that they are very much context dependent. So, one thing will work on mobile. One thing will work on uh, on web. What will work on IoT, which, for instance, doesn't have user interface, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is another question. Uh, also, the, the context of what type of application you're dealing with. Uh, actually, again, we're currently working on some uh, studies which are not yet published uh, with the FM Mike Order from, uh, from the Literature Review, uh, where we look at uh, things uh, such as social norms and context. And again, context seems to be the strongest element that is actually influencing how people manage their data, manage their privacy, especially when it comes to, uh, to exposing them to warnings or notifications, uh, some sort of privacy indications. So again, as with privacy and my research, you know, nothing is uh, straightforward. Uh, it, it's very much context dependent, it's very much the platform dependent. And uh, if I share more sensitive data, uh, I will probably be more careful about, you know, who I'm going to share it with. But then, on the other hand, you have some research showing that, you know, people are actually more trustworthy when it comes to sharing um, their personal information with applications which are designed in a kind of suspicious looking manner, you know, which are looking like not real websites. And for some reason, people are just like giving away all the data there. Um, and if, to my mind can come, of course, the example from the real life situation that we, we sometimes are also more open to strangers on a train than, you know, we would be to our friends. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is exactly, you know, this kind of, uh, um, it, it's happening in exactly the same way uh, in the digital world as in the real world, I guess. But I'm not sure if I answered your question. Oh, yes. Yeah. Nothing is straight. You definitely, yeah, so it's, I, it's been, that's like really interesting to like hear, especially how context has, you know, affected people's privacy. And, uh, you know, I've seen my friends do exactly what you're talking about, even though I've been working in this field and I preach privacy and please, you know, be hygienic when you're on the web and take all your precautions. They see something that's kind of flashy still and they're like, oh yeah, here's my, here's my data for you know, a chance to win an iPod or something and Yay. kind of crazy that, you know, that's all it takes, um, which kind of actually leads me to the privacy paradox that you mentioned in the paper, which was the gap between uh, privacy attitude and behavior. And, you know, I would, I, I would think that at this day and age that people, you know, would not be clicking on the pop-up ad for the shiny new iPod, but it seems that that's not the case. And, like what is what what did you see as like the driving factor uh between the two of them um like what really drove people's actions uh to be a, 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 i guess um a bit more lenient than the data than uh with their data than i initially was expecting mm. let me come back to privacy products i guess because it's again right now quite controversial mm. term to use and i I'm not sure whether a privacy products really exists. I mean, frankly, in my 
few studies that I, I ran already, I actually did not find uh, privacy paradox. Mm -hmm. So many people changed. It's quite an old term because it's from early 2000s. So, you know, it's, it's not something new. And people also have, uh, I guess, different attitudes toward privacy. They know more. Uh, however, um, when it comes to the actual, you know, the drivers or why they would uh, do it, why they would over-disclose information, I think that even the example that you have given uh, is perfectly explaining it. There is the benefit that is definitely, you know, uh, worth the cost. Mm. So I would rather pay at this moment, especially. I mean, you, you can look at it from a perspective of so many different uh, cognitive biases that happen in one in one moment. Because you know, I see the ad, I want to have some benefit. I'm gonna win probably this. Uh, small chance, but I will maybe win it, you know. <laughs> so I'm gonna provide my I don't know name, personal number, whatever, uh, whatever is necessary, um, and I'm gonna get it soon. Maybe there is some sort of instant gratification in play too, you know. I, I, I will. Um, so I, I think that this this is quite often the benefits, you know, like the cost and benefits calculation. Uh, it is actually taking place, and uh, because people are not maybe fully aware of the risks that are going behind the uh, disclosure of the information because it's quite hard to understand how data can be aggregated sure. and you know how can actually uh, that data be used when once it is aggregated how you can be profiled based on your know, few different uh, services that you've been using uh, this is uh, a complex uh, concept to explain to you know a random person mm -hmm. um, and taking into consideration all these possible, you know, <laughs> factors of what may happen, what, what kind of harm I'm exposing myself to, when on the other hand, oh, I'm just going to get like new iPod or whatever right. uh, we were talking about, you know, of course I'm going to go for a new iPod. I mean, there is also time and, you know, it's funny because like in, in the, the, the most recent study that I've done, which will be now published actually in, in Soup's conference, uh, which I'm very excited about, uh, it's, um, we, we found that actually the time spent on the decision is, you know, one of the crucial factors uh, that is impacting your comprehension of privacy and then your behavior. And we noticed that people who, you know, who actually dedicated the time to, to read briefly the information that was provided to them and, and change the controls did adjust their behavior, did share less, did, uh, did adjust their uh, attitude too, and their concerns were different. So um, coming back to user interface design, I think it's important to try to engage people uh, so they would spend more time on it. Because when we sign up for application, going back to our example, it's not our goal. Privacy policies, you know, like I just want to use application. Mm -hmm. So to find a way when we can, you know, actually engage them and say, okay, um, spend at least, you know, a few seconds more on seeing this bold text, what may happen, it may change uh, change behavior. Of course, only in some individuals. Another, you know, issue, the fact that we're not all the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is making it all more complex. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, you know, a lot of people think that the privacy policy is just the stuff that you hit next, 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 next through just so you can get to the product. Mm -hmm. And it's um, I wonder if it's just a um, people get frustrated with the with the you know, it, I've never seen a privacy policy like kind of walk through of a product where I'm actually like, oh, OK, I, I'm 
I kind of get the gist of it at a high level, like right away. Oh, I need to look into this a little bit more. I see what these people are about. I'm a different demographic because I actually will do a little bit of research and mm-hmm. figure out what I'm actually putting on my phone and what's tracking me and all that kind of stuff. But I just kind of wonder if people just get fed up with seeing it. Almost all of them almost look identical. That's and problem. that's a frustration, right? You know, so it's like, it's like, okay, that's, that's that boilerplate on next time. That's the blah, blah, blah. I just want to go. I just want to share something, you know, and, and that's people don't understand that there's, there's important information in there and it's just, it, it needs to be read. You need to understand. And then you can't come back two weeks later and be like, why did this happen? And be like, well, because that thing you hit next to mm. was, was important, you know? I, I think that the issue there is also the fact that, well, there, there's many issues, but uh, once we are all used to doing it, so we, we are habituated already, right? We just do it yep, automatically. Yep. Second, yes, exactly. as you mentioned, they do look the same. Third, there is this um, a notion already, uh, we, we have this predefined approach, I guess, uh, that privacy policy will be something hard to read. Because they are changing. They are not that bad now, but they are still being, you know, long text. I would have to spend 10 minutes to understand them, the legal language and, you know, going through it. It's like going through hell probably. Um, but uh, they are changing. So so there were actually some uh, studies done in, in UK, if I remember correctly, by uh, a British government, but then it's changing to company, I think, uh, around the dark patterns and also around the terms and conditions in terms of um, in relation to e-commerce. Uh, which were showing that you can, uh, at that stage when you're buying, which is very similar to to signing up for application, um, show some information uh, in a much shorter way, uh, very condensed, uh, and it, it did increase comprehension of those terms and conditions quite significantly. So uh, I, I think there are ways of going around it. it it's just, it's also... It's like um, with privacy policies, I think that the problem is that providing people with choice at this early stage would require a lot of changes. And it's not only changes, oh, let's change user interface. It's changes at the back end. It's changes, you know, like what information we will collect, how we're going to make sure that everyone has quite similar functionality because you should offer similar functionality to uh, to users of your uh, of your system or whatever. So um, it's, it's a lot of issues. I would like, I would love to somehow fix it <laughs> while I'm still alive. And I wonder whether it will happen, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the same boat. We agree. Yeah. <laughs> if you- we should work on it together. <laughs> I, I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, speaking of that, if, if you had like an ideal state or um, just like recommendations for a privacy focused UI moving forward, or at least maybe some modals uh, that would give users a mm-hmm. transparency as to what their actions really are doing, um, do you have any like nice to haves or uh, an idea of what that would look like? Or is that something that still needs way too much research uh, since it's so juvenile right now? Um, in my personal opinion, I mean, I do have like a dream world uh, in which the ideal user interface uh, that is privacy uh, oriented uh, would be personalized, but it may lead to another paradox that we are getting data from the user in order to know what that person actually wants for privacy. Because I think that this is very similar to the, the general uh, design, uh, the, 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 you know, the priorities of, of design, human-centered design, mm-hmm. that we, you, you, we need to understand what each specific individual actually wants and what that individual needs and who that individual is too. 
because we are so different. Mm. So it may, you know, th this is in my dream world that you have actually a system that is recognizing who you are, uh, what you usually do, you know, what uh, what what is your uh, your personality, your you know what 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 age you are, and in some ways it's helping you to guide you through through the user interface, get it tailored to your needs. Mm. But I think this is. Uh, a futuristic design, <laughs> so it will not happen. <laughs> yeah, we, we can try it though. Um, but in general, I think that what is important is to make sure that when you're designing user interface, you have privacy in mind, basically. So you're implementing it into the life cycle, to the iterations of the design, mm -hmm. uh, and talk to people also, because as I said, it's so contextual. So it depends what particular user, user interface you're designing. Uh, what is the product? Mm -hmm. What is it for? Because I think this, this thing is different. And then you test and then you find probably something doesn't work again. You know, this uh, standard process. Yeah. And also what I feel is um, still missing uh, is the lack of following the main rules of usability, like the simple rules. I'm not talking about something advanced, but and you have studies, very recent studies showing, you know, how difficult it is still to find, for instance, privacy policy on one website, how many clicks you have to go through to identify where it is. And it's inconsistent, it's changing. So, so, and these are really simple principles of usability, you know, from back in 80s, <laughs> which, why is this not implemented still? Mm -hmm. So I would say that to, to improve transparency, uh, make sure that it is, um, you're following the usability norms. To, uh, to improve in general comprehension and understanding, change the visual display, uh, use, uh, use visualizations, don't use text, um, which are again obvious things and again have to be balanced because you, know, you may end up with uh, privacy indicators that are like totally out of space and mm -hmm. people don't understand them, which actually happened. And, and there were some works actually done around it that showing that people simply don't understand all icons. You know, like, we designed these fancy mm -hmm. things, but yeah, I cannot recall them. Like they, they just are totally not related to anything that I know. Um, so, so this is also again. Kind of, kind of balance kind of depends on the context and also do you know you have to be careful to not use too much of it because uh, you, you sometimes need uh, simple text but I think that uh, looking at those psychological effects uh, it seems uh, um, based on my my review and uh, based on other works that I've read uh, of researcher uh, past research it seems that uh, framing in general seems to work. Mm -hmm that implementing uh, social norms into design, like showing what others are doing, because this is usually what we're like basing our uh, privacy interactions on. When we look at trust, for instance, um, quite often people don't read privacy policy, but they base uh, the decision of whether I will install application or not on the fact that it has been reviewed and it has five out of five stars, mm -hmm. you know, and this is enough without actually checking, oh, was it five stars from one person or was it from 200, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and was it true or not? But, but, but that's what we base, uh, base our decisions on. So, uh, but, but again, it's, I, I don't unfortunately have like, a, you know, one solution for everything. And um, I think it's similar to, to the fact that, you know, in the past we were trying to create a, a one uh, design that will be suitable for all, one solution for all, but it's not like that. It's rather one for 
one person, one for individuals. So we have to kind of approach it in the same way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, a very complex <laughs> problem that we're, we're mm. tackling. So it's going to need, you know, a very complex solution too. Um, Indeed. It's, yeah. So I was curious if you had, um, so I'm not going to ask you to call out any names or anything like that, but based, you know, once you once you've finished um, your research here, and I mean, obviously everything's ongoing, but have you taken a step back from any products based off of kind of like what you've seen and what you've learned? Have you kind of like reassessed your reassessed your feelings with some of your with some of your own local applications or you know desktop or or mobile? Have you have you stepped away from anything because of what you found out? Um, well, of course, I am uh, much more careful than I was before I started my PhD in terms of my interactions with technology. However, I'm also not you know, always extremely careful. Uh, I live also in a country where we have quite uh, uh, high trust to our centralized system. So, which we, and we are very well protected in the system too, even in a bubble a little bit. Uh, so um, I guess uh, maybe I'm not that super careful, but I want to look at it uh, slightly more optimistic maybe that some of my uh, colleagues, uh, other researchers from privacy, and I do see that there are changes in user interfaces and changes beyond user interfaces that companies are implementing. I see that privacy policy of Facebook does not look like it did look uh, back in 2009. It's not perfect, but it's changed, right? It's still very yeah, difficult to find anything. Yeah. Well, I, I tried to find some information on it before and I was like, mm. luckily I don't use Facebook, but you know, sometimes you have to go for these things and yeah. thinking, mm. <laughs> how do people find info there? Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. still, uh, it, there is like a light in a tunnel, I think. Uh, but I think it's an extremely long process ahead of us. Uh, and uh, speaking about my research, finishing or, you know, um, on its impact, uh, my research is not finished. I mean, I'm finishing one part and I'm planning to to stay in the same field. We, we have some exciting projects uh, starting here at Kerstet now where we will look at the dark patterns in e-commerce. So that will be something also, you know, uh, very much related to what I've been doing. Uh, and and this is with, with a governmental body. So we hope that it will actually have some sort of impact uh, on the design uh, because they will use it as a potential as a guidelines to mm -hmm. find companies horribly it sounds but yeah. yeah so so you know it's uh, there are perspectives and i think that there are legal uh, changes that have been implemented over a few years uh, over the last few years uh, has given uh, a lot has are demanding a lot from companies and and um, we cannot expect that they would change over day, but I think that they are trying, at least some of them are trying. Yeah, um, I would agree. So. Uh, is, is there a place where, uh, you know, people listening to this can find uh, more of your work or, uh, you know, any any more information on these dark patterns in e-commerce or anything else coming that you would love to share with the, the listeners? Uh, sure. So uh, when it comes to the new project, I mean, there is nothing yet out because we just literally started it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but there will be, I'm sure. I have my own website, which is aidikoska.com. Uh, so it's basically the first letter of my name and the surname, um, where I usually update uh, all my publications. I try to keep them uh, open access uh, or at least preprints or authors' manuscripts on the site so people can read it straight away from there if, I, if they are out already. 
Um, if not, I'm on Google Scholar. My team is also there. There is Carset University page where you know I can be found. Our private group can be found, uh, and uh, um, and other research groups that are dealing with privacy. So uh, we also have uh, Privacy in Us, which is privacy and usability uh, site from our PhD project where. Uh, my colleagues uh, from other countries uh, who are in, in the project are also uh, posting their work. Uh, so you can find me, I guess. I cannot yeah. hide entirely. Well, I, you know, I'm trying to hide. But... <laughs> we'll find you. Yeah. We'll find you. Yeah. Now we'll we'll include all the links in our um, right. in our show little note stuff people will be able to click all around and um really interesting stuff and that's i mean that's a nice natural way of saying thank you so much for for spending some time with us uh today um really really appreciate it this is really interesting stuff and you know for folks that are new to the new to the idea that people actually work on this stuff behind your phones and behind your laptop behind your websites you know people take this personally and and professionally and and we there was a lot of people out there that care about your privacy and um hope that you understand that we're everybody's trying to make it a a nice better place to um to hang out online so um there's just a lot of great information out there and thank you so much for for the work you're doing um i know that uh selfishly ghostry is is um was part of the interview process with you and nothing but amazing th stuff that they were talking about as far as what they, the information that they got. And so I, I've been sitting in on some of the um, new uh, meetings about redesigning our user interface for our upcoming pro process. And um, it's just, it's been really, really helpful. So uh, we, we say a big ghostry thank you, but then also a big uh, ghost stories with Franz and Pete. Thank yeah, you thank as well. You. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I, anytime I could help, I'm, I'm there for everyone. Actually, I love collaborating with people and talking about work. <laughs> it's, well, it's super interesting. Um, and so we, we, we really thank you so much. So we really appreciate it. So um, again, all the links to Agus work is going to be in our show notes. Um, and we'll uh, we will we'll say we'll say goodbye now, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll talk yeah. again later. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Welcome back to episode three of Ghost Stories with Franz and Pete. Thank you for listening with our uh, to our interview with Aga. Uh, we really appreciate her time here with us today. Uh, if you or anybody else uh, that you know are interested in either being interviewed or have suggestions for the podcast in the future, please feel free to reach out to me at Franz at Ghostery, that's F-R-A-N-Z at Ghostery, or Pete at Ghostery, that one's a little bit easier to email, but uh, you know, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd also like to give a thank, uh, thank you to all of our listeners, uh, but a special shout out to our Turkish listeners. It seems like uh, we have gotten quite a bit of love from there, so thank you uh, everyone for tuning in, and uh, we you know, we hope to see this continue to uh, grow as we continue on with more episodes. Yeah, no, that's a, it's interesting to see that people are listening to this and we, we totally appreciate it. If you, along the lines of what Franz said um, with those email addresses, if you have any questions or comments or anything, totally feel free to hit us up. We may even start a Twitter handle. You just don't know because the world's a crazy place and maybe we want to play on Twitter, although Twitter is a crazy place these days. So who knows? Um, we may create a MySpace page. 
you know, we we may rift that space time continuum and go back in time and kick up MySpace or Friendster account. We'll we'll get those going too. Um, but huge thanks to everybody who's been tuning in. Um, Franz and I are having a lot of fun doing this, and uh, we have a lot of um, ideas for the future, and we're going to do them. And nobody can tell us not to. That's the beauty of having your own podcast and we're going to just keep rolling with it. But again, having a great time and we are excited that uh, y'all are listening. And uh, again, thank you to Aga for, for chatting with us, all of her documentation and links and amazing work are in the show notes. So please click on that stuff, go check it out, share it. She said she loves, loves to chat with people. So hit her up if you have any questions, cause She's the one to ask, not us. Uh, so <laughs> we just asked some good questions and she she gave us all the amazing responses. So again, thank you to Aga for, for hanging out with us. And um, until episode four, Franz, I uh, hope you have a nice July, September, October. <laughs>